Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the comic book story, Shattered Grid, is one of the original Master Morphers himself, Chris DeLanda. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is the morphing hour. Yes. I'm excited to have you here. As the audience knows, we covered the first two years worth of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series from Boom Studios earlier on in our podcast run. And I always intended to come back to the comics. I wasn't quite sure how far I would get, but at a minimum, I knew we had to talk about Shattered Grid because it was huge. And so I'm excited to have you here to finally be able to talk about that. But but even just beyond that, just to talk about your history as a Power Rangers fan, your fandom, how you got into it. So maybe we could start there. I mean, you've been on my other show, My Comic Shop History. We did a couple of episodes on the original Mighty Morphin movie and then the 27 reboot movie years ago. We've since recovered them on this podcast. But you and I have talked Power Rangers before, but again, this is your first time here. So what is your Power Rangers fan journey? Yeah, I mean, I think you've covered this a little bit with a lot of your other guests, but my... um, my story, at least up until a point, is pretty similar to a lot of that. Like, I think if you're a man of a certain age, uh, which we both are, you it was just your obsession in the 90s. And, and like, I, I remember seeing, I remember the first episode of Power Rangers I saw, it was Food Fight. It was the Pudgy Pig episode. And like, I, I just remember, like, just my mind being blown. And this was really before, like, the mania had caught on. And it was just my whole world for years and years and years, like, I loved Ninja Turtles growing up too, but I was a little, like I missed, I I came in at the tail end of that a little bit. So Power Rangers really felt like it was my thing for my generation, you know, toys, uh, you know, t-shirts. I was the Red Ranger for Halloween, like three years in a row, like that kind of stuff. And then my fandom kind of like diverges a little bit. I was definitely the weird kid 
on the bus that watched Power Rangers like way too long. Like, you know, there's always that one that I, I distinctly remember <clears throat> going to school at it. So it's 95, right? When Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie comes out. And I remember it just being the talk of the school. Everyone was like, did you see this? Did you see that? We were all talking about it. It was, it was the hot goss, so to speak. And then I remember like two years later, I went to go see Turbo in the movie theater and like everyone made fun of me for going to see it. Like I di- I distinctly remember like, wait, we all love this. Why don't we all still love this? Um, so I, I hung on for a little bit. I watched pretty regularly all the way through Power Rangers in Space, which is like part of, a, there's a meta narrative there, right? Like those all kind of connect a little bit um, to like Zordon and they all tie back to the original Mighty Morphin. And then after that, it kind of diverges. So after that, I, you know, I was, I aged out, so to speak, but I was always kind of like casually aware of the franchise and always had some kind of attachment to it. Like I would check in on it every once in a while. I would like, you know, see an episode while channel flipping of something that series of whatever and put it on. And then like every so often, every like five to 10 years or so, I would not get really back into it, but get like, a, like dip my toe in a little bit. So like, I remember I was in in high school at one point i was laid up in the hospital for like two weeks and there was a marathon on of the new season at that time which was dino thunder which is the one where tommy oliver comes back and i was like oh this is cool i'm laying in a hospital bed i'm gonna watch a bunch of this so i watched a bunch of that too um it also helped that i remember the yellow ranger on that season being like really really cute like and just bringing that i'm sure that's also a meta thread right like we all watched because we loved kimberly so like that, that kind of uh, it brought the nostalgia back and then like just been casually aware off and on. Um, funnily enough, like while we were all living out our collective trauma during the pandemic, I was like, I came across an article on CBR or something or like the 10 best seasons of Power Rangers or whatever. And I was like, yeah, let me see what's up. And so I, I read this article and then I was like, oh, this one actually sounds kind of cool. So then I, I actually watched a full season of Power Rangers during the pandemic. I watched um, Power Rangers RPM, which was like a very nice escapism from the, the troubles of the world. So that was kind of fun, too. And actually, RPM ends up factoring pretty big into Shattered Grid, which we're going to talk about. So um, and then I guess also like because I, I I work for comic conventions, like I'm also that's part of my job too is just kind of like at limited touch points with that franchise because Power Rangers fans, like I feel like Power Rangers fans fall into two camps, right? You've got us who were like big nineties, mighty Morphin fans fell off with it, lapsed fans, what have you. And then you've got the people who stayed and it's like their whole entire reason for being. And like, that's cool, man. Like it's a niche thing. Like I'm not taking that away from anybody, but like the Power Rangers, the hardcore fans are hardcore about it and they will let you know so like there's always there's always rangers floating around the convention circuit that i've got to keep my eye on and stuff too (laughs) gotcha i will say i my my experience as well it is a very robust fandom and and i say that because our numbers for this podcast they're not through the roof but they're they're solid especially given the fact that i have not i suppose marketed this maybe as aggressively as I have my Superman podcast, for example, uh, which is the the primary pod. Not that this doesn't, you know, I, I care very much about this, but that's the weekly show. And that's the one that um, is sort of the flagship show of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. Yet 
we still get a, like a good amount of traction. I just like, there are a lot of fans out there and, uh, and, and I don't know, I feel like the ones who are listening to this show maybe fall into the more lapsed casual camp, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure there's a mix. And, and regardless of which category people fall into, the more casual fans or the real hardcore ones who never stopped watching the show, boy, I appreciate everybody. But no, but like, as you're saying that, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, the, the fact that we found an audience, again, even with sort of minimal, you know, minimal uh, efforts in terms of getting the word out there uh, really speaks to that. I think your Superman um, uh, promotion is just personal bias, uh, at Hissy says, wearing a Death of Superman t-shirt. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, Reign of the Superman. Yes, yes. No, but it's, uh, again, Power Rangers is really, is near and dear to me as well. And this has been an absolute joy doing this. And, and I love hearing you lay out your history with it. I mean, I remember, again, when we did those couple of episodes on the 95 movie and the 2017 reboot on, on my comic shop history podcast, I remember you were kind of educating us about the, the larger Zordon era, right? That more or less concluded with Power Rangers in space. And because that was past where I and, and our other guests had, had watched so you were able to lend that perspective. And then over the course of doing this podcast and talking to, you know, at least one person, maybe a couple who watched past where I did, it really is fascinating, right? To kind of get that, to get that perspective. I mean, that's one of the things I, I will say, like with Shattered Grid, I feel like I, and we'll get into it, of course, but I enjoyed it, but I feel like I didn't get as much mileage out of it as you probably did or someone who kept watching because we're pulling in all of these Ranger teams and I can, I can appreciate it and I know Oh, they're from this season or that season, but I, I don't know anything about them. And I don't have any personal attachment. Yeah. I mean, like I, I think that shattered grid and, and like, like you said, we can get into it is perfect for that lapsed casual fan, right? Like it's, it's something that is, is very much a core focus on the mighty Morphin team, but there's like enough fan service. If you know the franchise that it really, really delivers on that front. I do feel like, I may be a little bit closer to you in that regard, but I, I kind of got the sense I was trying to look at it through fresh eyes. I gave it a reread this week and I was thinking about those like hardcore power Rangers fans who are like so obsessed and they have their, their shipping pairs and like they have their favorite characters. And in that regard, it kind of doesn't deliver because it's just really like a glorified string of cameos for like with, with a few minor exceptions. Um, But beyond that, I mean, it's just cool. Like I'm a, I'm such a sucker for, time travel stories and like alternate universe stories. Um, and like shattered grid is basically like power Rangers back to the future too, which is like, like just so right up my alley. It's so perfect. Like, or like age of apocalypse, like, which is one of my favorite X-Men comics. Like this is very much like an alternate universe power Rangers story, which is really cool. True, true. Well, so as we're segueing into Shattered Grid, so talk to me about the comics themselves, because as I've said on this podcast many times, I completely missed the boat on these, heard about how great they were. Again, it's weird, you know, we're doing the Shattered Grid episode, I know we're late, years late to the game here, but to me it's brand new, like this is really cool. Yeah. So I completely missed the boat, right? I, they were coming out, I heard nothing about how amazing they were, and I, it's not that I was dismissive of them, I just, I had not been plugged into the franchise in so long, and, and even at that point in time, my comics reading had really kind of dwindled, so it just... I just wasn't dialed into it. So it's been amazing now. And especially reading the comics hand in hand with rewatching the show and seeing how things fit together and how they're answering these questions that you had or you never even knew you had as you were watching it as a kid. It's it's amazing. But you were following these along the way, right? Yes and no. So when the I think the Boom series started in 2016, if that sounds right to you. 
So I was actually working in comics at the time. Um, I was working for Marvel and doing PR and stuff. So um, the last thing on earth you really want to do when you're forced to read every single Marvel comic that comes out is like go home and read more comics. So while I was while I was working at Marvel, my non-Marvel comics reading really took a nosedive. Um, so I remember like reading the f- maybe the first issue when it came out, and I was like, "Wow, that was actually pretty good." Because you know, like the you think about licensed comics, and and the the f- the ceiling tends to be pretty low for those in general. Like, I mean, you go back far enough, and you've got your you know your Larry Hama GI Joe stuff, which is like a high watermark, but like by and large, you know, you're the, the license is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. And so I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And I always made a note, like a mental note to come back to it, but I didn't for like a couple of years until really actually right around when Shattered Grid was kind of heating up. And I just remember like all of the fervor and speculation around Lord Draken and that first appearance. And I was like, that sounds really cool. I really can't wait to get on that. And then like, I remember like the marketing for the event kind of washing over me and you know, you, you work in comics or you follow comics for long enough and everything feels really samey. Like it's like, Oh, another universe ending threat, another yada, yada. And like, especially in the last like 10 years, it's just like been there, seen that, done that. And I, I just, I distinctly do remember the marketing for shattered grid and feeling like, wow, this actually like, this seems kind of big and, and that, you know, the word epic gets thrown around maybe a little too much nowadays, but I do remember thinking like, Oh, that seems kind of epic. Like um, especially as somebody who was casually aware of the franchise and um, like was a little bit more invested in the, the canon of it all kind of like stitching together of all those different disparate um Power Rangers seasons and stuff. Have you ever gotten to just segueing really quick? Have you ever heard of Power Rangers Hexagon? Oh yeah. We actually talked about this at the end of our Zeo trilogy, which is not even out yet as of this recording, but that was, was that the proposed season that would have had a civil war between Jason and Tommy? Yeah. And it was like Hexagon was supposed to be like shield in the Marvel universe. And like Tommy would have been leading this shield like unit that would have like all of the united, the canon of all of these different power Rangers teams, right? Like they were all squads folded under this militaristic organization or whatever. And like, I remember hearing about that when it was coming out and that it never happened. And I was like, Oh wow, that sounds so cool. And so to me, like something like shattered grid really scratched that itch of, of like, seeing this all in one place for the first time. And, you know, you've got your like forever red episodes and stuff like that, that bring it together. But ultimately those are like the shows for kids, right? Like, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily scratch that same itch. And, and the, the comics to me always, the, the, the beauty of these comics really is that like the, 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 the character development is there on the page in a way that maybe it wasn't in the show because like it's a show for kids, which is totally fine, but you know, it's it's clearly aimed at the 30-something market who grew up with this stuff. Yes. You know, I'll say the same thing about these comics that I said about once and always when we talked about that. And I, I do want to, as much as we did a whole episode on that, I do want to get your take on that that recent sure. special. But I'll say the same thing that I did about that, where I feel like again, these comics, that once and always special, I feel like they were made for me, for you, for those of us in that group who grew up with it. And 
there's something special about that, right? Because I just feel like it ties together so much of the experience that we had. And I'm grateful for these projects that can do that. So, well, let me, on that note, let me ask you about Once and Always. Uh, and I think there are a couple of places where, you know, we might have some uh, connection points in terms of what we're talking about. But, but sure. Once and Always, this recent mm-hmm. special, uh, did, did you enjoy it? I did. I did. Like, I can't. I can't say it was good, but in terms of like what it set out to do, um, I thought it was great. It, it's a, it was a pure celebration of nostalgia. And in that regard, it was awesome. Um, you know, like I, I really enjoy this franchise so much and I'm reminded about that when I read these comics or when I buy one of the many Power Rangers toys you see behind me. But then like sometimes I'll go back and watch the show and it doesn't resonate with me anymore because even when I go back and watch like the old episodes that we grew up with, because that's not really made for me anymore. And that's totally fine. And I think some people maybe take offense to that when, but like, it's just, it's not for me anymore. And like the actual like structure of it, of, of once and always was really fun. It was great to see uh, uh, Billy and Zach back kind of really wish they would have gotten, you know, made, you know, been able to play a little hardball with the contracts and maybe got everybody. But like, you know, it was, it was still really good to see, to see everybody back in, in one place. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So this shattered grid comic book event that we're talking about here follows Lord Draken as he attacks Power Rangers teams of different eras and steals their morpher so he can power his armies. But more importantly, so that he can increase his connection to the Morphin Grid to eventually get to the point where he can enter and reshape reality. And so that's our central premise for this, and it took place over issues 25 through 30 of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series written by Kyle Higgins. There's also a free comic book day special and the Shattered Grid number one, one shot that wrapped everything up. And then there were also four issues of Go-Go Power Rangers that told a story that tied into it, but was really its own thing as well. Not to continue to delay our fully diving into Shattered Grid, but in advance of Shattered Grid, I I did finally, for the first time, read the first couple of arcs of Go-Go Power Rangers. Great. So good. It's great. It's great. (laughs) It, it, um, that book in particular, like, I feel like they struck a really good balance with it. And I'm not really reading them anymore, but you know, mighty, the mighty Morphin power Rangers main book for the duration of that run was very much like the bombastic event stuff, certainly leading up to shattered grid. And then go, go power Rangers was more like the character stuff. It like if in the parlance of like X-Men comics, it would be, you know, the main book is where they fight Magneto and the other one is where they like play baseball and stuff. And, and like, that that stuff really really worked for me and like ryan parrot who did those books has just a real ear for that dialogue and i I really do think like we need to talk about dan mora who's just absolutely tremendous and like now five years later he's one of the biggest working artists in comics he's like drawing superman and batman and he started doing power rangers books which look incredible like there's they look incredible no i i echo that well actually not not to engage in some shameless shameless self-promotion but uh, very recently on digging for kryptonite we covered mark wade and dan moore's world's finest series we looked at the first year of that and yeah his art you know there and here just amazing and and uh, world's finest in particular what was so amazing was that you know that book has a very silver age vibe to it 
And he was able to strike this balance in the art where it felt so fresh and modern, yet at the same time felt in keeping with this more Silver Age aesthetic that that Mark Wade was going for in the writing. And it's just, I, I, it's like I'm looking at it and I'm not an artist at, at all in that in that respect. It's like, I don't know how he did it. Like it just w- walked this perfect line. Uh, so going back and seeing his earlier work on that Go-Go Power Ranger series was great. To be honest, I think... I, kind of, I sort of shot myself in the foot because I enjoyed those character-centric, quieter stories so much, and I read them right before Shattered Grid. And I, again, I enjoyed Shattered Grid, and I get why it was such a huge hit and all of that, but as I was reading it, it's so big, and you have all these rangers floating around, and I just, I kind of longed for those more personal stories of Go-Go Power Rangers. But yeah, I mean, they were, and for anyone not familiar while the Kyle Higgins Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series at the beginning of the Boom era took place right after Tommy had broken free from Rita Spell over in Go-Go Power Rangers by Ryan Parrott and, and Dan Mora, we had uh, a look at the Power Rangers before before Green with Evil. So we see them very early on in their tenure as Power Rangers. And, and in those first couple of arcs, there's some great stuff. Trini has a crush on Jason and they're training together and Billy is interviewing at the Promethea organization and he's considering whether or not he should pass on his powers to Matthew Cook, this previously unknown, uh, you know, other student at Angel Grove who Kimberly is in a relationship with and is ultimately abducted and replaced by this putty monster and is meant to infiltrate the team. Uh, Zach is questioning Zordon about why Jason and not Zach had been made leader of the team. Like there's some great stuff. I really, uh, I, I was, I was so, so pleased with, the Go Go Power Rangers series. I can't speak highly enough. <laughs> Matthew Cook is such a great comic book retcon device. Like kind of like how every time there's a new Star Wars, whatever, we find out that Darth Vader had like a 57th Secret Apprentice or whatever. Like <laughs> it's just it's always so funny when 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 books do that. But yeah, I, I agree. Like it that character stuff for me is what resonates more now. And when you go back and watch like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which I'm sure you are much more recent and current on than I am like the those characters are very broad um, and they have to be because it's a show for children and the episodes are wrapped up in 23 minutes but you've got the the geek the jock the valley girl you know and and so actually spending a little bit of time to get to know them and 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 live in that world and and their day-to-day as teenagers is really cool the thing that really struck me like with 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 Go Go Power Rangers and and with the um with the Higgins book is the character development for Tommy gets a lot of character development for sure, but also like Jason because when you go back and watch that show, Jason's kind of nothing. He's like your generic leader dude. Um and and you know when when I was a kid and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Um, Green Ranger all the all the way. Like Green Ranger was the fan favorite. And he still is for me. Like I still love the Green Ranger. But as I'm getting older, I find a little bit more to like about Jason. And I'm realizing that personally, I think I kind of gravitate toward that reluctant leader archetype. Like, you know, and the books do it so well too, because they gave Tommy and Jason the Wolverine and Cyclops dynamic that they should have had all along or the Leonardo and Raphael. And like, as I'm growing up, like I love Wolverine as a kid, but now I'm like, man, Cyclops is the best. Like, so Cyclops is my favorite. And like, Jason is the Cyclops of the X of the power. Rangers. 
that's very much been the experience that I've had in going back, right? Going into this being like, oh, Tommy's the best. And and again, I think we we all all of us feel that to some extent or another, but but especially in rewatching it, I, I agree completely and identify with what you're saying where uh, I've really gravitated a lot more towards Jason. And very recently we covered Power Rangers Zeo and it was so fascinating to watch him come back as the Gold Ranger and to see him now in the role of the sixth ranger, the Wolverine. And we, we talked about this, like even in those episodes, like he's just so much cooler and more relaxed <laughs> without shouldering the burden of being the leader of the Rangers. But it was just so funny. And I'm so grateful that we got, and it's funny because in my head, I always, I always thought that was such a, a larger part of Zio. But when you go back, it's so deep into the season. He doesn't do that many yeah. episodes, but I was so grateful that we got to see that dynamic flipped. Right now, Tommy's the leader, this very straight-laced leader, and you get Jason. He's in his black shirt, and he's just like sauntering around, and and it's, he still feels like Jason. Don't get me wrong, but it it just flipped that, and it was cool to see that. That's cool. I got to go back and rewatch those too because I always really loved um, Zio. I, I think like the, those designs are so cool, and like the Gold Ranger looks so cool. He's got a staff, like that's cool. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So those those Go Go Power Rangers issues were really tremendous. I'm glad I read them. I just wanted to have a little bit of context for that series because I knew there were those few issues that tied into Shattered Grid. But even on that front, I, I really didn't know going into this what the structure of it was. Right, I knew there were Go Go issues that were part of it, but I didn't know if it was more of a straight crossover or what. And I and I wasn't sure because again, the books took place at different points in the timeline. Yet we have all of these timeline shenanigans. So I really I had no idea, and I was pleasantly surprised as I was reading issues nine through twelve of Go Go, which are part of Shattered Grid, but just take place at their point in the timeline, and we deal with uh, the Ranger Slayer, the Kimberly, the older Kimberly Hart of Lord Draken's world. Uh, who has been sent to our world to to free Lord Draken, but she ends up uh, earlier. She arrives earlier than she was supposed to. So she's at the point in time of the Go-Go Power Rangers era where Tommy hasn't yet joined the team and she faces off against the Rangers and eventually they're able to break Lord Draken's spell over her. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I appreciated the fact that you could really read those as their own arc, which is what I did. I read the main Shattered Grid and then I read the Go-Go uh, issues and uh, and they read great. And to be honest, in certain respects, I enjoyed them more, I think, than the main than, than the main Shattered Grid event. I won't lie. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to like there. And and it really only ties in like right at the very end, too. So like you said, it's not um, it's not required reading, but it's, you know, like any comic book event. It's it's, it's in a way like supplemental and additive, but not necessary. And, and yeah, like that Ranger Slayer character is so cool. Again, like kicking it back to Dan Mora, that design is so striking and arresting like even something as simple as changing the white on the costume to black is is so elegant in its simplicity and and makes the character look completely different and so cool and the little design quirk of her bow being the two of the evil green ranger swords kind of like end to end just it's just so cool and so striking and and just the way that he remixed the the mythology of the character too. I don't know if he designed Draken, but we should talk about that too. Cause that's such an incredibly cool design as well. I, he, he might not have, cause I think that was in the main book that he debuted, but it just, it's, it's so cool. 
Yeah, Drakenhead. They, I think Kyle Higgins and and uh, we didn't mention yet the artist on the Mighty Morphin issues, and I'm probably gonna butcher the pronunciation, but Dan- Daniela De Dan- Nicuolo. Best That's what I would have gone with. So I, I was I was reading that today, and I was like, I'm gonna have to pronounce this. So thank you for taking that <laughs> off my back. But uh, but yeah, I mean, great. I mean, you're between the writing and the art on both books. Uh, really, were we were in great hands with this shattered grid event. But yeah, the Lord Draken design is awesome. I also, it's funny. I think I had seen this at the time, but I really I didn't have the context for it. So I watched it and I was like, okay, I didn't know what to make of it. But mm-hmm. that trailer, that live action trailer yeah. with Jason David Frank as Lord Draken. Uh, so again, I had seen this at the time to promote the comic book event, but again, didn't really know what to make of it. Uh, but then I rewatched it now, and and especially in light of his passing, it was you know it was special to be able to kind of take that in. And my understanding from reading Wikipedia <laughs> is that I guess there were some talks about doing a live action version of this. Are you aware of this? No, I mean I know that he before he passed was working on something similar but not power rangers um but i mean i would love to see it if so that that would be cool um i i get i guess my uh, like from what i understand he was pretty active in like helping to promote this which i mean he, he he filmed a trailer for it but like i remember him talking a lot about it and he was always on boom panels at at conventions and stuff and he just seemed to really embrace that um, they were doing something new with the character and something different. Yeah, I think I think that, you know I, you can understand why that would be appealing. I mean, even taking the the potential <sighs> financial aspect of it out of the equation, yeah. but just you know, just factoring in like, hey, they're they're doing this is an alternate take on this character that he played for so long, and uh, it's a you know, you know definitely very a very intriguing, captivating version of, of Tommy Oliver. This this alt universe incarnation who continued to align with Rita until he eventually killed her and took over, right. And dominated that world and is now looking to uh, encroach upon other worlds as well. So it's, it is kind of fascinating, especially of course, we're all so familiar with where Tommy Oliver started and how his arc unfolded and sort of this question of like, well, what if, what if he didn't, join the Power Rangers, what will, you know, what would become of him? And so to get a look at that, you know, is is pretty fascinating. So it was cool that he was as involved as he was and and watching that trailer was, was pretty neat. I also finally, again, I, another instance, I'm very late to the game, but I finally watched that, that, um, that quote unquote bootleg, uh, fan film. Oh yeah. Power Rangers. Shankar thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which. Not for me. No, <laughs> not for me. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of it's. It's a separate conversation, but yeah, it was. There are aspects of it where I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of I do appreciate taking this more adult look, but it went, you know, <laughs> they really overshot the mark with with that. So, well, you bring up an interesting point though, because especially as we're talking about these comics, like I think that there is a subset of people who consume superhero fiction, whether it be comics or movies. I think you could probably see this most recently in the Zack Snyder universe, but there are these people who equate uh, dark and gritty with sophisticated. And, and it's not exactly the same. Um, And 
And so like something doesn't automatically become smarter or, or more sophisticated if it's more violent and more dark, like, you know, you dark Knight returns is the exception that proves the rule. in in so many ways, so like these boom comics are bright, they're poppy, they're colorful, and yet they feel adult in a way like there there's, there's meat on the bone there. That is not like a cheap, like that bootleg thing um, that just feels dark and gritty for the sake of being dark and gritty. If that makes any sense. No, I get what you're saying. I think we, we do differ on the, I think on our assessment of the, the Snyder. Films, I know you love, you love that stuff, <laughs> but I do get where you're coming from on that. And how much, how much time you got? We could do that episode <laughs> right now. We won't subject the audience, the Power Rangers audience to that. They don't want to hear that. But, but, uh, no, it is like, it is funny looking at that fan film, looking at these comics, and then most recently looking at Once and Always. Because I think in, in each of those instances, you do see attempts to tell stories, again, for an older audience who grew up reading it to, to varying degrees of success. And I think, in fairness to that fan film, it, it, it came before all the rest of this. Right. And there, there's a lot about it that is pretty cool, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, probably goes, <laughs> it goes a little bit too far, but it's still very, it was interesting to watch for sure. And I'm, and I'm glad that I finally did for anyone who's not familiar. It's, it's just over 10 minutes. And, uh, the setup for it is that the, the, the planet earth and the machine empire had made this truce. Uh, and you kind of get the backstory of how the Power Rangers all fell apart and, you know, fell one by one. And I won't kind of spoil the twist of it, but it's, it's kind of a cool, uh, cool ending to it. I thought it's, um, it's Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the thing It's none of the original actors playing the characters. So it's Katie, it's Katie Sackhoff as Kimberly. It's, uh, James, <laughs> James Vanderpeek as Rocky who's interrogating her and that's sort of the framing device. He's, he's defected to the machine empire and he's interrogating her, trying to discern the location of Tommy Oliver. And in the course of that interrogation, you get to see sort of what became of, of Zach, of Billy, of Trini. Um, and eventually Tommy enters the picture and then we get our little, our little twist there uh, about Kimberly's true nature. Uh, so it was like, it was cool to watch, but I, and I, again, I bring it up in the context of this. Cause like I said, I think you see these three instances to tell these stories, um, that more adult stories that are geared for people who grew up with it. I think the comics and I, and I really was a big fan of once and always, I think the comics and once and always strike the best balance in terms of still feeling, still honoring the spirit of the show and are in keeping with that original series that we grew up with, but just kind of taking it, you know, not, not all the way. <laughs> all the way to the next level, but, you know, just kind of elevating a bit and, and giving us a little more to chew on. Uh, and so that's definitely what I felt reading these comics. No doubt. The, uh, the best, the, the highest compliment that I can give these books and, and, you know, once and always to a certain extent too, is that while I was reading them, <clears throat> I felt the same sense of nostalgia. I did while watching power Rangers as a kid, like, it gave me that same feeling as an adult because I can't get that feeling anymore from going back and watching those, those episodes I've, I've aged out of it, so to speak. So I can watch them from just a pure nostalgia perspective, but like reading those books, I got that same feeling of like sitting in front of the TV on a, you know, on a Saturday morning. I hear you. The highest praise I can give. And I've talked about this here and I've talked about it on digging for kryptonite. I've always had this weird aversion to, 
to like comic book adaptations of other properties for whatever. Like I, I, I can't tell you why, but so, and I talked about this too, you know, when we talked about the beginning of the, the boom era. So, you know, I, I didn't go into this sort of predisposed to buying in. Right. And, and the fact that I was, I was reading these and I just felt like I was, I was just in that Power Rangers world, you know, again, I think is, is one of the best things that I can say about it. Like I was just all in on this and, and I was invested uh, and it's just like, it felt of that world. You know, I didn't feel like I was reading, okay, this is a comic book adaptation. No, I felt like I was reading a chapter in the Power Rangers lore and that was cool and that was special and that it was something new. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material, Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Yeah, I mean, like, to your point, licensed comics are usually not very good. Um, and, And so I also have an aversion to them and rarely check in on them, you know, unless it's something I'm really, really, really into. Um, this is the only one I can think of in the, in modern memory, you know, the last 20 years of comic publishing that I've really genuinely enjoyed. Um, for all of the reasons that you stated, like it, it, it's, it's, it does everything it needs to do. And I think a lot of that is Kyle Higgins. Like he's, he's someone who is of our age, I remember reading a letters column with him. Um, I don't know if you've gotten around to it, but I do. I also am very lapsed on this, but I do recommend his book um, Radiant Black, which is kind of his, his image book that is kind of his own spin on a Sentai series. Like it's his own property. And so he's got his own kind of take on it. And I remember reading the letters column in there and, and reading it and thinking about um, he, he goes into like how he was 
the Power Rangers kid growing up. And and I think he actually even called out that he was also the kid who watched Power Rangers like a little too long and got made fun of it for it. And so like his, his love of that franchise comes across in the book. Uh, certainly for the Mighty Morphin era, we could talk about it a little bit, how the rest of the franchise kind of is glorified cameos, but it worked for me because I'm only casually aware of them at best. So, um, but yeah, he clearly loves the franchise as much as you or I do. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that definitely comes through. So as far as Shattered Grid itself, are there any number of places we could start, but I mean, what resonated the most with you? What stood out the most to you, even before you did your reread, what were the aspects of the story that, that you didn't need a reminder of? Like, what were the things that, uh, that really stood out? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, the stuff that really, really stuck out to me was the alternate universe. Um, like the, the universe that they call of the, the coinless is what they call them. Like that stuff is so cool to me. It checks all of my boxes. It's, as I said earlier, like age of apocalypse for X-Men or back to the future two. It's that for power Rangers and seeing those designs, which I all also think were Dan Mora, maybe, but the, um, the red Ranger sentry guards and the, the black Ranger, you know, shock troopers, that stuff. I remember reading that when it was first, when I first got to those issues and I was just blown away, like how cool that was for me. So that stuff really stuck out. And then there's a couple of moments just throughout the book that, that I remember very vividly, you know, a lot of the big end battle stuff with big double page spreads, but there's one, one page, I think it's at the end of issue five in, which would be like 28 maybe or 27 when they send up the signal to bring in all the other Rangers and they go out of the command center and there's this incredible double page spread of them all just standing, looking up at the sky as the other Rangers are flying in. And I just remember thinking, this is, this is so beautiful. And again, um, I'll butcher the name, but Daniela Di Nicuolo, um, we didn't talk about their art, but such a clean, elegant art style, um, like almost minimalist in a way, um, in terms of line work, but the colors, um, I, I, again, I forget who did the colors on the book, but the colors are so vibrant and they pop so much and it just, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's so gorgeous to look at. And that, that spread, I remember really, really sticking with me. And then when I got to it again on the reread, I was so excited and I just stared at it for a few minutes. Um, I actually, I, I took a screen cap of it and made it the background on my iPad now. So that's, that's where we're at. I also took a screenshot of that. You know what it reminded me of? I And I forgive me, I, I forget. Did you watch Supernatural? No, I did not. I mean, a little bit right at the beginning, but I, I that, that one missed me, unfortunately. That's quite all right. It's a, you know, <laughs> I do recommend it, but it's also 15 seasons. So it's hard for me to be like, you really need to sit down <laughs> and watch 300 plus episodes. But it is one of my favorite shows. But there is... There is a moment throughout the run. I mean, it's quasi spoiler, but you know, three hundred episodes. There's still there's still enough there where the angels fall to earth, and it was so cool the way they brought that to life on screen. And they didn't have the biggest budget in the world, but they made it work and they saved their budget. It was a finale, and they saved their. Clearly, they saved it for this <laughs> for this moment. And you saw the angels falling to earth. That's what I was thinking of when I was looking at that double page spread, and it's gorgeous. And you see, yeah, all of those beams of light as the different Rangers are teleporting in. It was so cool. I'll be honest. And I felt, I felt like such an old man when I was reading this, this part of shattered grid, because it's, I, I kept getting tripped up on exactly what the mechanics of this were. And I, what I, 
I think I understand it. <laughs> just gotta, you just gotta go with it, man. Um, you know what actually tripped me up before you get into it is again because they didn't really establish all these rules, but there are like so the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are our our focal characters. But then you've got like Zeo and Turbo characters and stuff showing up. Those are the same people. So yeah. is it like they're from alternate timelines? You could probably cheat it by saying that. Anyway, I don't know what was tripping you up, but I remember I was thinking about that as I reread it. So I <laughs> I think this is, and I know there are people who have really studied this who have been like, you guys, come on. But I, someone is yelling at their phone right now. Someone is <laughs> shouting into their podcast app. <laughs> It's right. I feel like that's part of the fun of listening to a podcast. <laughs> we we all enjoy that. So if if you're if you're doing that right now, have at it. But uh, my understanding, and I think this answers your question, because I was reading these pages like over and over, and I felt like, what am I missing here? That I think the the Morphin Grid itself <clears throat> protected itself by breaking and by sort of. F- each by, you know, sort of forming, um, you know, different dimensions, for lack of a better word, for each of the different eras of Power Rangers to create or to prevent the paradox, right? Because early on in the story, Tommy is killed by Lord Draken, right? So if we're following kind of time travel logic, everything else that would follow would sort of all fall apart, right? If he's now removed from the equation at an earlier point in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but so the Morphin Grid protects itself by breaking and by, again, forming these, these little shards or pods or dimensions for all of the different eras. And throughout the story, the Rangers are traveling from one to the other. But that's how you're able to have all of these Rangers, all of these different Ranger teams seemingly existing simultaneously. They're like all shards of this grid. That was my reading of it. I could be wrong. Uh, I will say that I did not think that hard about it. And I commend you for going that deep on logic. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to uh, acquiesce and say that your explanation is the right one because I don't have a better one. So I think that works for me. But this is, and this is, I wanted to ask you this, and this is kind of why I brought up once and always previously, because, and, and look, once and always just came out, these comics that we're talking about came out years earlier, but <clears throat> You watch Once and Always, and even some of the other reunion episodes, the legacy episodes that we've gotten over the years, like Dimensions and Danger and Forever Red and things like that, and you get the sense that all of these Ranger teams are existing or operating simultaneously anyway, but I, I guess the, I like to, the, to Kyle Higgins and, and company's credit, I feel like they went out of their way to sort of account for how you can have all of these teams interacting because again, like you watch the special and it seems like they're just all out there anyway. Yeah, I, I got it in my headcanon growing up that like all of those teams were just like, well, this is San Diego's team of Power Rangers and this is, you know, Milwaukee's team of Power Rangers, so to speak. And then um, this kind of throws it all into chaos, but I guess all in service of of getting to the end point of, of you know, dimension ending threat or what have you. Yes. So... I don't know. I, I could have totally misinterpreted what the intention was here, but that was that was what it seemed to be saying. Uh, and and I guess again does account for how the timeline didn't unravel by Tommy dying early in the story. Of course, he'll ultimately be all right by the time we get to the end of it. But that was one of the other things that I was struck by in reading this was, I guess, going into it, I expected present day 
quote unquote regular Tommy Oliver would have such a larger role to play. And he's, he doesn't, right? He's off the board yeah. for almost the entirety of it until we get to that special at the end after Lord Draken has rewritten reality. And then Tommy, our Tommy makes his move. It's kind of a bold choice when you really think about it, because you've got this this villain, this anti version of one of your characters. And you like you said, you take him off the board for the whole time, which I thought was an interesting choice. I mean, I would have been curious to see what this book looks like with him sort of at the forefront and like leading the charge. But also, as we were saying earlier, like giving Jason Scott a, a moment to shine here, I thought was really cool because, you know, that arousing resting speech he gives to them about being power rangers and you know holding the line and stuff was cool and 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 i I like seeing him get a little bit more of a moment in the sun i agree and i maybe that's the trade-off it's funny because as i was reading it it felt like and going back to what i was saying earlier where it seems like there had been some talks about maybe doing some sort of live action adaptation of this from a television production standpoint it actually makes perfect sense if Tommy Oliver is killed, right? Because now you don't have to have Jason David Frank playing two versions for this entire story. But again, we're in the comic book realm, so you can go nuts and you don't have to worry about that. But but I guess the other reason to your point is that it does allow this space for Jason. And I don't want to sound like a broken record with this, but going back to our very first episode, and I've referenced this a number of times, but we covered Green with Evil. And, and as much as I know it's the Tommy arc, it's still at rewatching. I'm like, it's really a Jason story. Tommy's under the spell for the whole thing. If you really get to see Jason try to keep this team together, try to deal with this new threat, he's powerless fighting Goldar in that hidden dimension. It's to me, I looked at it more. I was going in, of course, Tommy on the brain and I'm watching it. And I really feel like it's really more Jason story. And, and again, similarly here, as much as Lord Draken looms over everything, it's, I mean, if, not that we necessarily have a POV character, but if, if it's anyone, I feel like it's Jason. Yeah. And you talked about this a little bit when you covered the 2017 reboot too. That's very much a Jason movie, I guess also by virtue of Tommy not being in that movie at all, but like um, seeing, seeing that character, you know, that reluctant leader archetype, just trying to hold everything together uh, works for this story in particular, because it ups the stakes. It makes it feel more dire and, and having Jason at the forefront kind of punctuates that. Yeah. What, what did you think about, and I believe these are additions to the lore that we got here. I'm not aware of them appearing elsewhere. Correct me if I'm wrong or audience, correct me if I'm wrong, but the emissaries that Zordon goes to, uh, and the, the idea of the Morphin masters who created the Morphin grid, uh, I found that very intriguing. Are, are you, I mean, has that been established elsewhere? I could be wrong, but I think the Morphin Masters have been mentioned or referenced in the past. Um, don't quote me on that again. People are shouting into their podcast device. Um, the emissaries, I don't know for sure, but I thought it was really um, intriguing, like you said, and and at like some real deep, deep canon stuff for these books, like additive to that, to the, to the canon and, and cool. And, and I don't know how far you've gotten into the boom books. I ended up falling off a little bit of a ways off from where, where shattered grid ends, but they come back into it in a pretty big way too, which was pretty neat to see. Yeah. Shattered grid now is as far as I've read. And I think this will probably be it for us for comic book coverage on the podcast, but 
I'm, I might continue to read on my own. I don't, I don't know. I know after this, we have Beyond the Grid. We have Necessary Evil. We have the Unlimited Power Error. We have the Recharged Error. So I know there's a lot more to come, but this takes us to the end of the Kyle Higgins era, except for Soul of the Dragon, which we are going to get to in an upcoming episode. But um, what I will say for you, because I I read all through the main book and then it ended and rebooted as two books, which is a classic comic book move. Why? why when we're selling 100,000 units of one book, why don't we just launch another book and sell 200,000? Un- unbeknownst to you, you will likely sell 50,000 of each of those books, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I kept up with that for a little bit and then I fell off, unfortunately. Um, not um, for no real reason. It wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it. But the one thing that I will say for you that you will very much enjoy is they give an in-canon reason why Zach, Trini, and Jason left for the World Peace Summit or whatever it was, which I thought was a really nice little touch. Although I haven't read it, I am aware of the the Omega Rangers business, and I do. That's a cool touch. Like that's one of those things where, again, it feels like it's made for us, right? Because you know, and we've talked about that whole business of of how that went down on the show, and and sort of getting this other layer of oh yeah, but hey, they were actually this the secret operative team uh, that was out there. Very cool. So for that alone, I might I might continue. Um, I, again, I really am enjoying these, so I, I think I'll I'll continue I'll continue on even if we're not necessarily doing uh, episodes on it. But yeah, you know, you have these these uh, emissaries of the Morphin Grid, right? And Zordon makes this plea to them, right? To try to intervene. Lord Draken is running amok. He's stealing these morphers. He's, he, you know, the Morphin Grid itself is in danger. And there's this cost to Zordon that's alluded to. And then you get the explanation for it that by that by making this plea to them, by entering their domain and, and making this request to get the Morphin Masters to intervene, uh, he has now relinquished his ability to join them in the Morphin Grid when he eventually leaves this plane of existence. So there's that that whole business going on too. Again, like just a, a really great narrative device for helping to up the stakes. Like by the time you get to the end of the book, like, Look, I, I can't speak for you. I know you've read quite a few comic books and so have I, but like I'm kind of exhausted by these things at a certain point because they all feel so samey. And and so I really do have to commend the team on these books for really making it feel dire and 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 simultaneously walking the tightrope of stakes and plot while balancing the character drama too. And I could have used a little bit more of that character drama. Like Draken doesn't really get a ton of motivation, which I would have liked to see. Um, maybe you're, you're a little bit fresher on the stuff before Shattered Grid starts, but um, you know, I found the notion very intriguing that of all the universes that exist out there, his was the only one where Tommy stayed bad. Um, that was like a cool thing that you could have played with. And yeah, they touch on it like a little bit in that um, that Shattered Grid one shot when he's living his kind of idyllic life, which is very, very comic booky. Like uh, the, the most comic booky trope you can have is like the alternate dimension. What if could have been happy life? I think they do that every time any character dies, like Captain America did it, Swamp Thing did it stuff um but i would have liked to see a little bit more villain motivation out of him because that's kind of interesting i'm very glad you brought that up i was going to ask you that because i didn't know if i was being unnecessarily harsh or missing something or whatnot but 
Uh, I, I echo that completely. As I was reading this, I kept waiting for that moment where something kind of clicked into place where it's like, oh, and that's why he's the way he is, or that's why he's doing this. Something something more that we hadn't seen, right? It was just that he had made this choice to to continue to align with Rita uh, after all of that green with evil business. And yeah, I just, I guess I kept waiting for some sort of payoff or twist or something that would have would have elevated it a little bit or, or given greater understanding to what his whole deal was. And, and we never got that. I, again, I think when we get to that final issue, and I know we're jumping around, but I, you know, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're familiar with the story. When we get to that final issue, the concluding chapter of all of this, where Draken has entered the morphin grid, morphin grid, uh, and has reshaped reality. And he's this, this hero, but there are kind of cracks and there are these energy beasts that he's fighting. And that's a manifestation of his doubts, you know, coming into play. And then the real Tommy Oliver reenters the picture and they have their final face off. And it's this overall message of like, Hey, I, you know, the, our Tommy Oliver, like I have, I, I have friends, like people help me, people rely on me and vice versa. And that's the difference between us, right? You never let other people in you know, that tracks and that works. But again, I think that speaks more to our Tommy. I felt like it just, I never felt like we got that. I felt like there was a little something missing there on the Draken side. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe it's, it's enough that he just, you know, made this choice and that's it. But I was, there's a little more I wanted there. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of different ways you could have given him a little bit more villain juice motivationally. Like, I don't know, make it, so that he went to go join the Power Rangers in his universe and they didn't want him on the team because they thought he was still evil or something. And then you've got a little bit more motivation there and it ties back into that finale about how, look, we just we just fixed it. Like, And then it ties back into Tommy and the whole my friends are my real strength classic Power Rangers message. Yes. Yeah, I think I think there was a, l- a, little, bit, a little bit more that could have been done there, but... Uh, I, I, we've been talking about this idea too. And I, I think it's true that as much as there are so many other Rangers from different eras in the mix, I guess this cuts both ways a little bit for me. I, it's not that I felt lost, but I wasn't necessarily, you know, the cameos didn't do much for me because I don't have that connection. But at the same time, there are people, again, who, to, to your point, have watched all the way through. There are people who started long after you and I stopped watching, right? So to have this story that could speak to anyone kind of in those groups, I, I appreciate that. So I don't begrudge I don't begrudge Shattered Grid for including the other characters. And it wouldn't be Shattered Grid if it didn't, right? You know, in my mind, it's like, I just want to see Mighty Morphin and Zeo. <laughs> but it's like, that doesn't, that's not Shattered enough. So, so I get that. But my mileage, I didn't get as much out of that. However... I do appreciate that it didn't ultimately overpower the core cast that we've been with all along. And, and I don't know, there might be people who are huge fans of Power Rangers Samurai, for example, who are like, Hey, why didn't they get more play? Or, or, although they did get a fair amount, but yeah, whatever your favorite team is, you might've felt a little bit, uh, a little bit left out. But I think in terms of what this book was, right. And the, the team that it was focusing on, I think it did a good job of bringing in enough of those other fan service elements while still, keeping their eye on the ball with our main cast, right? Yeah, agreed. Like you, this couldn't be everything to everybody from a, from a Power Rangers fan perspective, but they did, they did drive very, uh, they did walk a very fine line there. And like you said, there's definitely some people who felt a little slighted by such and such didn't get 
you know, uh, a, uh, a story arc here, but it really did work for me going back to what we were saying at the beginning about someone who's sort of casually aware of Power Rangers Samurai or Power Rangers RPM and, and see and time force, which seemed to be like the three biggest ones that got some shine. Like, seeing them did just enough for me to be like, Oh, this is cool. This is neat. This is additive without a feeling overpowering or B taking away from our core cast members. By any chance, did you not necessarily for this, because it wasn't, I think I had sent you the deluxe edition hardcover contents and this wasn't even in there, but there was the 2018 annual that also tied Mm -hmm. into Shattered Grid. Do you remember reading that by any chance? I did read it probably at the time, but I didn't reread it for this. That was like a lot of short stories of different teams and stuff, right? Yes. And the only, I'll be honest, of that annual, the only one I read, not surprisingly, was the Zeo one. It was the lead off story. Kyle Higgins wrote that one. And it's, you don't find out until the end, but it's Lord Draken posing as as Tommy in the Zeo team and having this conversation with Jason. It's as Jason is leaving and they're giving him like this goodbye party. Um, And they have this conversation on the roof of the command center where quote unquote Tommy, but really Lord Draken is saying like, Hey, did you ever, you know, doubt me when I, after I broke free of readers, read a spell and this and that. And, you know, Jason of course is very supportive and typical Jason fashion. And, um, the reason why I read it was there was an editor's note about it. And one of the issues, one of the core issues, because I think it's Finster five who, who's questioning Lord Draken about the amount of time he spent with the Zeo Rangers as he's holding the Zeonizer. Okay. There's a reference to that. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what was the backstory there? So I went back and I read it. it was, it was cool. And again, as a, as a big Zeo fan, I was like, all right, I'll, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to at least see what that was about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all in all, they struck a good balance and, and the idea of it is, is really cool, right? I, again, I feel like you look at something like Once and Always or maybe some of these other reunion episodes, we've seen teams interacting and things like that. But this was, you know, this was a few years ago and this really, I think, took things to, to a huge level. You wonder what something like this would look like realized on screen, um, as cool as it is on the page, because you don't, you don't have the voices, right? You don't have the music. There you know, certain aspects of it that would be cool to see brought to life, but... But still, I think we're really effectively here. I will say I did uh, listen to the 2017 Power Rangers score while I was reading some of this. Uh, I know you had talked about that on your episode uh, about that movie. That score is tremendous. It's so good. That movie, and, and again, I don't want to segue too much and talk about the movie, but I could. That movie does so many things right and one of uh, it punches above its weight class in so many ways. And the, the music, I remember, you know, thinking this is a tremendous score that has so much emotionality. And it, it actually, I, I encourage you to maybe go back and like reread the last two issues while listening to that. It's, it, 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 it worked for me. Nice. No, I am a big fan of that, of that score. So no, I, I, I might just do that. I've done that with other things too. It really can, can enhance the reading experience when, when you have that for sure. Uh, oh, Ninjor. I was very pleasantly surprised to see Ninjor pop up. We have, uh, you know, Draken takes the Ninjor of our world, right, back to his world and brainwashes him. And ultimately he has to be rescued. But uh, that's what allows Lord Draken to be able to um, sort of, you know, t- tap into these other morphers and, and, and use them the way, the way that he does. But it was cool, especially having rewatched Ninja Quest fairly recently and this whole business about ninja being the one who originally forged the coins and of course on the show he gives them the ninja powers and all that he's this key figure here so 
again, as far as fan service that really connects back to the show, it, 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 it was appropriate. And I was, that was a, a, a key piece that I thought was cool to include. He, I always liked him too. Uh, there was not a ton of him from what I remember. Again, you're fresher on this than, than I am. He was kind of the surrogate replacement for them getting the powers in the show versus the movie. Right. So he wasn't really around until like that last season, if memory serves. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I always, I always enjoyed him. He was cool. He was, you know, became a big ass sword. That was always neat. But he was, a. what's funny with, with the show is that yes, he gives them the powers. And in my mind, I don't know that I even remembered him sticking around, but in rewatching it, he's not, it's not like he's there a lot, but they do call upon him in battle. He's, he becomes kind of part of that, that Zord escalation, right? Where they either before or after <laughs> they summon their Zords, it's like, we need help from Ninjor and he flies in. And so he was there, you know, kind of a fair amount. So it was, it was, I think appropriate to see him uh, represented here. I always wondered why there's two things that always bothered me about Power Rangers. One was, it always took a very long time to morph or form the Megazord. So what the hell were the bad guys doing while this was happening? I know that's a common joke, but like they're all just standing there waiting for them to, you know, yell out the name of their sword and stuff. Um, and the other thing was, and this is such an anime trope too, is there's always that escalation you mentioned. There's always another weapon to unlock or a new sword or a new, you know, why don't, why don't the guys in charge just give them that from the beginning? Like if you're if you're sending teenagers out into into the battlefield, these people have just hit puberty. You're not going to equip them with the the all of the tech you've got. You're you're sitting on Zords in the garage that you're waiting till for a rainy day. So that always just struck me as as a little obnoxious. But I did always like seeing some new toyetic shit pop out of the ground. No, I know I'm with you. I'm with you. And and we going back to Zordon's rules for them, right? Not revealing their identity. Okay, we get that. Not using your powers for personal gain. I'm on board with that. The one I've always bumped up against is you never escalate. Never escalate a battle. It's like, why not? <laughs> like, why not? Like, why don't you just call in the Zoras immediately before the monster yeah. grows and just stomp them? Again, clearly we have to have an episode and I, I get it. And maybe there's some sort of idea of fair play or whatnot, but it just, in terms of strategy, it makes no sense. Especially when you think about that these are teenagers who are like hiding their secret identity and like efficiency of time would be really helpful here so they could get back to class or the juice bar or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. There's just going back to Go-Go Power Rangers for a second. And it's in that Shattered Grid tie-in arc, but there's all of this uh, business with Jason's father who's ill and he's been keeping it from his family. And there's a scene where Jason goes to Zordon and he's pleading with Zordon to, to tremendous, intervene. tremendous scene, <laughs> right? I was genuinely moved by it. I like reading it this week. Yeah, it was like, that's the kind of stuff that the, that the comics have been doing that I really appreciate because the, the show was never, it wasn't built for this, right? Dealing with tension between the Rangers and Zordon or anything like that. And, the comics, I feel, have brought up some very valid points and questions and getting moments like that. Or even earlier on with Gogo, where Zack goes to Zordon. It's like, hey, like, why wasn't I the leader? And Zordon has this whole lesson. We need multiple leaders within the team. And there are instances where Jason's not there. And, and Zack, we do see Zack step up. And and similarly here, this conversation where you know Jason's pleading with him uh, to, to help his father. And Zordon has this whole lesson about allowing events to unfold naturally and, and everything like that. And 
I appreciate that. And I'll also say the moments with Jason and his father where the, Jason's dad is like, you know, you don't burden your your family, your loved ones with with your problems. And then, of course, that comes back around later when Jason forces the issue, right, and, and makes his father reveal his, his health condition to, to, the, to the mother. Uh, but, you know, that, especially now as a father, I'm always kind of, I always kind of have you know, my antenna up for stuff like that. And it was, I think that's an important lesson. And I think that's something maybe more of a generational thing, right, where uh, this idea of, you know, the parents and especially the father, right, like you don't, you don't show that you're struggling with something per se. But I think more my personal view is I think it's, it's important, right. To share kind of what you're feeling, what you're going through, uh, because everybody goes through these things anyway, uh, just to kind of have these ideas floating around, I thought was, was cool. Well, also, you know, Kimberly dealing with, again, in that arc, dealing with her, her father, uh, and mother splitting up is something, again, the show was not built for, but is something that teenagers face every day. And, and was just really cool to see how that sort of affected, um, just that the character arc that we were talking about and fed back into the plot narrative, which again was a, uh, you know, such a power Rangers thing. If they, if they did an episode of the show about that, I'm sure Rita would have created like a divorce monster to, to fight them at, you know, at the law offices where her parents were signing the papers or something. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, well, you know, speaking of Rita, when we also have this bit where Zordon has to align with with Rita, they actually have to team up to try to take down Lord Dragon. Another, again, very unlikely, unlikely pair. But I thought that was a neat that was a neat twist as well. It was cool to see my man Doggy Kruger there. That was another Power Rangers season that I was like casually aware of, and I remember thinking, like, you mean to tell me that there's a Power Ranger that is like a six foot tall anthropomorphic cop dog? And I was like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. I actually, I have, I, it's not here, but I bought that action figure, even though I've never really watched that season. I just thought he looked so, so cool. So I've got him on my desk at work. Nice. <laughs> so that was an instance where I was completely lost. And I was like, I don't know who this character, but I, look, I went with it. It was all good. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the Zordon of the team for the ones that are like cop adjacent. Gotcha. Okay. Going back to what you were saying before about, just kind of the appeal of the coinless world, Lord Draken's reality. I, I agree with you. It's, it's just getting to see, for example, in the Go-Go Power Rangers arc, where we get the backstory of the Ranger Slayer, right? Kimberly Hart, who eventually will be brainwashed by Lord Draken, but we get to see her earlier on in her journey. And she and Bulk are are this amazing team and they're you know, they're protecting the human survivor, survivors and everything. And, you know, that was great. And then we, we also get uh, Skull as one of the sentries, right? Like from, undercover was really cool. But yeah. undercover, and he ends up helping uh, helping our crew get Ninja out, and he pays the ultimate price for it. But but that, even that, like, Bulk and Skull get some cool moments in this. Do you, do you ever watch Battlestar Galactica? No. There's there's a really cool arc of Battlestar Galactica where um, you know the whole show is them on the run from from the Cylons and they settle down and they they live on a planet for a little while and then the Cylons show up and they enslave them all and there's like a like a multi episode arc to kick off a season where they're all like a resistance force fighting against their oppressors and it reminded me a lot of that and those were like some of the best episodes of Battlestar Galactica but it also had a little you know a little Terminator that that kind of post apocalyptic stuff going on it was just really neat to see and again the designs of those centuries and draken and finster five and just remixing that mythology was awesome and really just checked a lot of boxes for me 
Right on. I, there was a point in time where I owned the Battlestar Galactica complete series Blu-ray and I never watched it and they ended up selling it. <laughs> it's one of those ones I'll, I will probably get to at some point. The Sopranos also fell in that category where I owned the complete series DVD, sold it, but then eventually watched it uh, okay, on, on streaming. Good. And yeah, that was early on. This was about to become a Sopranos podcast. So you're yeah. very, <laughs> you lucked out. <laughs> just a quick tangent, but yeah, that was early on in the pandemic. That was our, our main pandemic binge very early on. And yeah, one of those shows where you go in and it's like, wow, how good could it possibly be? And then you watch, you're like, Oh, it really is that good. <laughs> yeah. Ever, everyone really knew what they were talking about with this one. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, back to that coinless world stuff, I, I would have loved to see more of that. And I remember again, you're fresher, but they're, they're, they spend a little bit more time on that world a bit earlier in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like I remember, I think Zach and, or Billy and Tommy get stranded there for a little bit and that's how they learn of it. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember there being, they, there's a scene where, uh, Saba is telling them about everything that sort of happened in, in the history of this world and like how Draken got formed and the, the day that all the Rangers died or whatever. I remember reading that and being like, oh shit, like this is, this is real here. We got some stakes. And there's that cool moment where um, they mentioned that Zordon created the white Ranger to, to combat him. But since Tommy wasn't around, they were going to give Jason the white Ranger powers and they kind of show him like taking it before Draken gets it. And I was like, oh, I would have really loved to see a little combo white red Ranger would have been really neat to see. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a little, it's funny. It's been a little, quite a while now since we read those issues and talked about them, but I do remember that. And that was, that was definitely a standout. We, we've mentioned this go-go tie-in arc, but essentially I think the most, the most relevant piece to Shattered Grid is this idea that the Ranger Slayer from Draken's world, an older Kimberly Hart who had been brainwashed and sent to rescue Draken and arrives too early uh, and is ultimately saved by the Rangers and breaks free from Draken's control at the end of the story, she finds the Tommy Oliver of that time period, right? Before he had joined, before he'd become evil, before he joined the team and everything, and shoots him with this with this arrow that includes part of that green chaos crystal or, or whatever the, that was. The, the MacGuffin arrow. She hits him with yes. the MacGuffin arrow. <laughs> yes, exactly. And tells him like, she'll know what to do when the time comes. Or some, something to, he'll know what to do when the time comes, something to that effect. And then in the main Shattered Grid story where Tommy is seemingly killed by Lord Draken, there's this moment where he's like, oh, that's what she meant. And then you get the payoff of that in the final issue where after Draken has rewritten reality, that arrow, that energy is what allowed Tommy to survive, right? And now be able to reenter the picture and and do battle with Draken. I thought that was a good, it was a, I felt like a great tie-in that really allowed both books to continue to do their own thing, but to really work hand in hand and if you had only read one or the other, you still get, I think, a satisfying story, but you read them together and it all clicks. And I feel like that's the best of both worlds when you have this kind of event. Very elegantly done, um, especially when you think about the fact that those books are happening, publishing simultaneously happening in two very different time periods in the story. Uh, finding a way for those to naturally tie in is, is not an easy thing to do. And I thought they did a great job. Yes. For, no, for sure. Um, can we talk about the ending? Because I have thoughts. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to go to next. Yeah, go for yes. it. I don't like it. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Um, and here's why. Like, 
the book the book did such a great job of establishing all these stakes and you've got you've got personal stakes you've got world ending stakes you brought in all these other teams you 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 know you had a cool united front there's a lot of cool fan servicey moments right like them making a zord a megazord out of a bunch of different zords that's neat and something you hadn't seen before but it kind of just ends like there's no there's no there's a personal resolution there when you get into this alternate universe where Draken's this hero this living this idyllic life but you got you got to have a final fight you don't actually get a final fight out of the whole thing like th- that shattered grid one shot needed like 10 extra pages where you 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 snap back out of this alternate reality everyone's back on the moon and Tommy's in the fight now and you you get a final fight there with all of them just just wailing on the guy. I don't disagree. I can't disagree. It's true. We we built to this climax before that special where the ranger teams, the remaining surviving ranger teams are united and they have a twofold objective on the moon on Draken's world, right? Of destroying yeah. this transmitter that is allowing Draken to power his various armies right? Using these stolen morphers. But then you also have all these rangers he's taken and he's got them locked up on the, on the moon base, right? So there, there are these, are these tangible objectives, but then Draken achieves his aim of acquiring enough power to enter the morphin grid. And then this is when we get this other reality where he's earth's protector and this, but then the cracks start to show and then our rangers come back. And, and I, I agree. It felt like a little too easy after that's the thing. And you put it perfectly. The, you know, the book went out of its way and did a great job of showing how dire things were that it kind of felt like, Oh, okay. You, you felt like you needed more to then undo that, get around that. And yeah, I think there might've been it. a little missing piece there. I've got it. We can fix this again. We're going to fix it right now. Here's what you do. So you, you finish the book up, you do the same thing with the idyllic dragon world you pop out of that tommy's back you're on the moon all the rangers are there now you've also freed all the rangers that are in captivity right so he dragon doesn't have an army because they've all been depowered but he's still super duper strong what do you do you have all these rangers that were freed give their power to tommy soup them up you get your one-on-one fight everybody wins here everyone's satisfied yeah Ah, that would have been cool yeah that would have been cool at the same time, I, in fairness, and I'll play devil's advocate, if, we're, if we are only going to get one showdown, I did appreciate the more personal face-off that we get between the two of them. I think, yeah, in an ideal sure. scenario, based on what was set up, you probably could have done with, with both. <laughs> but, but if A little we are, bit more bombast, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the personal touch there works too. It's Just not as well as I would have liked. Yeah, exactly. But especially since, like we said, in contrast to Go-Go Power Rangers, or even what came before in Mighty Morphin, Shattergrid was this huge, and by design, right? It's this huge event, and there's a lot going on. You have all these Ranger teams floating around and all that stuff, and it's fun and everything, but we are losing a little, the core, you know, a little bit of the, that core, that emotional connection, the personal touch. And uh, and and I think that final confrontation between Tommy brings, brings a lot of that back. But uh, yeah, in an ideal scenario, maybe we could have had both. The thing that struck me, and having not read past this, I, I don't know, but so 
at the end of this, the Rangers have to sort of reshape reality, right? And there's this question of, you know, do we forge a new reality or do we put things back as they were? And they they land seemingly on putting it back as it, as it was. But even then, there's this idea that, again, once a piece of glass has been shattered, it can never be fit back together perfectly. So things aren't going to be necessarily the same. So is the idea moving forward that what we're getting isn't necessarily beholden to the established lore from the TV series. Is that the gist of it? I guess. I mean, I kind of feel like the book was already doing that in so many ways. It was, it was, it was adhering to the superstructure of Power Rangers, but it was really kind of doing its own thing. Um, if, if that is sort of the rallying cry of, well, now we're going to go off and really do our own thing. I don't know if they actually ended up, delivering on that because to the best of my knowledge, the book kind of continued to like toe that line of this is, this is the power Rangers that you remember growing up, but it is also kind of its own thing. Nothing really super radical changed after that from my recollection of reading the next 20 or so odd issues. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's one of the benefits of that mighty Morphin show is that with the exception of you know, Rangers changing or new powers or new Zords. And those happen at very specific points. As long as you're kind of bobbing and weaving among them, you're good, right? Because there are so many of those monster of the week episodes. It's it's really just as sort of, as long as you're keeping track of those sort of bigger picture tent poles in the series. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll kind of keep that in mind if and when I continue with beyond the grid and necessary evil and, and all that stuff. But all in all, I enjoy, like I keep saying, I enjoyed this. I'm glad I finally read it. I know this was a huge moment for the franchise generally, and especially for the comics and for the Kyle Higgins run and all that. I keep going back to though that <laughs> to, to uh, you know belabor the point, but those those go go issues really in this reading project in preparation for this episode, those are the ones that I really gravitated towards even more and and really resonated with me. So I enjoyed all of it, but those in particular. He, uh, Ryan Parrott is writing the main book now, and I believe has for, for a little bit. Again, I've fallen off, but, uh, that's good incentive as any to jump back in because he really is great and has a really good handle on, on those five as characters. Is there anything that, again, you had read it before and then you read it again for this. Was there anything that jumped out to you or resonated with you differently or anything like that the second time around? Yeah, little things like I, um, since I read it the first time to the second time, I actually did watch Power Rangers RPM and there's a lot of RPM stuff in this. Um, that season is actually pretty cool. So I was saying earlier in, in the, in the show, like I, I read an article of the 10 best Power Rangers seasons or whatever. And that's like always comes near the top on those lists. It's a real fan favorite. Everyone always kind of uh, holds it up as, oh, well, this is the dark season. This is the adult season. And it's not. It's still very much a, a, a Power Ranger season. It is very much aimed at, at uh, kids of a toy buying age. But there is some really interesting stuff there. So it's it's kind of like Mad Max meets Terminator in a lot of ways. So there's this AI, there's Skynet, basically, 
instead of Rita, they have their own version of Skynet in this, in this season. It's like, it's, it's an AI that has wiped out the planet and, and it's an arid wasteland. And there's like one city standing left that has a dome over it. And the Power Rangers protect this dome from the robots and the AI and stuff. And then there's a character that, you know, doesn't have his memories and is somehow connected to the the robot. And that's very much a Terminator-esque plot. But um, the, the thing that was really cool is there's this scientist and she's in the book, Dr. K and she, she helps the Rangers out a lot. She's got this really kind of weirdly tragic backstory for a kid's show where she was abducted as a kid by the government and put into like a scientific research program because she was genetically predisposed or had a, you know, was incredibly smart and they basically just like locked her in a jail cell and made her do science and she creates the rangers in, in this season so it was cool to see that stuff it was you know it was additive to me having had watched that season somewhat recently um again i imagine that if you are a hardcore hardcore fan you're like that's cool i would have also really liked to see this season and that season and that season get that much time um but that was neat and and added a little bit more color to the book oh that's cool that's cool no that's the thing i i don't know other than the beginning of turbo which we will get into not too long from now because of course that's still part of tommy's story and we'll dabble in a little dino thunder because again tommy's story i I don't know that i really have it in me to watch the later seasons because when you take away that nostalgia and the, that personal attachment, even something like turbo and dino thunder, at least there's the Tommy connection, but I have zero, there's no childhood memory of watching any of that stuff. I don't know that it, it would really work for me. And I've, I've had such a good time so far. It's like, I don't want to, I, I, and I just, I don't know. I just don't know. That's the path for me to sort of watch the seasons, you know, after, after I stopped. Yeah, I definitely couldn't do that. I think that was enough for me for another like 10 years. I am I am weirdly invested in the mythology of Power Rangers. I think that just comes from the nostalgia, but I have rarely enjoyed watching the show old or new episodes in later in life, which is why the comics actually work for me really well. They feel like they're a little bit more tailor-made to how I can properly consume that mythology. No, I understand. Look, look, starting this podcast, I didn't know I didn't know what the experience would be like going back and and watching them. And thankfully, has it been rough for you? Is it like, I, you know, is it is it aged? Is it is it still enjoyable for you? No, that's the thing. I am genuinely enjoying them. And I, I've said this a bunch of times. In fairness, I am skipping over the typical run of the mill monster of the week episodes and I'm watching the bigger episodes and arcs. So I'm cheating a little bit. But even even within that, it's still I, I've genuinely been enjoying them. It's not just watching it from an academic perspective, and it's like okay, we'll talk about them. I I, I am enjoying them, and yes, there's there's all of the childhood memories wrapped up in it. And if you if you took those away, would I react the same? No, of course not. But but even with that, I I am still I'm still getting into them, and there is some even with an adult critical lens, there are there are things here and there where I'm like, oh, that was really good. Like that was a clever bit or that was an unexpected choice. And it might just be that I've watched so much of it now that it's like I'm all turned around and I don't know, but, but they've genuinely been fun. I, I I'm happy to, I'm happy to report that. Otherwise this would be, you know, a chore. Right. And I, I wouldn't want that. So uh, thankfully that's not been the case. 
That's great. I mean, on this, the 30th anniversary of the show of all, of all things. That's great. Now I, maybe I'll go back and, and give it another shot. Like once and always was nice. It was a nice little trip down memory lane, but you know, I'm always looking for, for stuff to put on in the background while you're cleaning the house or whatever. Maybe it's a, maybe it's time to take a trip down to mighty Morphin or CEO and see what's going on. There's, uh, you know, not, not to just plug our past episodes, but in Zio in particular, there's the two part, well, it's really a three parter, uh, cause it starts off with where in the world is Zio Ranger five. And then there's the two part King for a day where Tommy is brainwashed and he thinks he's the leader of the machine empire. And Jason as the gold Ranger has to step up and lead the team. And they have this face off in this like gladiator arena on an alien planet. Very good stuff. Like, gen- like genuinely good. As I was watching, like this is this was really strong, and it tied together so much. I felt of especially where the show had started with Green with Evil. Now you had the echoes of that uh, on a number of levels. Really, like that was really good. There's a lot of that stuff I remember in space, um, in Power Rangers space, tying together a lot of that mythology and bringing it back to the beginning with with the characters, um, most of whom had cycled out of the show, but there's a lot of Zordon stuff and a lot of Power Rangers overall mythology of of the characters that uh, I distinctly remember space going a little bit harder on that you might find some more enjoyment now out of having done this podcast. I feel like that's the see. If I were going to watch another season after sure what I, I saw, I think that would probably be the one. So uh, there was a shattered grid game, right? An online game there. I don't know about an online game. There's a fighting game yep. called battle for the grid, gotcha. which is just, it, you know, it's like a street fighter, um, but with different characters from all different seasons. And there's a lot of shattered grid stuff in there. I think the, I think if you play, you could play that, you know, one versus one and be whoever. But I think this, the main campaign story is, is based on shattered grid and you could play as Draken or you could play as the Ranger Slayer and, and that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Actually. I, I played that a little bit. Uh, it, it scratched the itch too of, of getting more mythology and seeing more Rangers and things that I might not necessarily have watched the seasons of, but I'm like, Oh, this guy looks cool. He's got cool powers. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm decent with him in a fighting game, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, not much of a gamer these days, but I like the idea of that. And I, that's, that's neat. And, uh, is there anything else about shattered grid, the, the comic that we didn't talk about that you wanted to, um, the only thing I think we didn't talk about that I thought was interesting and neat was giving, I feel bad. We've been talking a lot about Jason on this episode, but in so many ways, he is very much a central figure for the book, but giving him a weird kind of romantic love interest in, in Lauren from the Samurai Rangers, which was, which was cool and interesting. And uh, I thought actually worked for me on the page. I was kind of more invested in that than a lot of the other sort of side narratives that were going on. I would like to see a little bit more of that. I agree with that. And we mentioned before the beginning of the Go-Go series, this this crush that Trini has on Jason. Uh, you know, even if you don't remember that specifically, just the idea of that. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, again, the, the show never had the, the time or the interest in kind of dealing with these inter-team dynamics unless there was it was really relevant to the plot, right? Uh, you know, someone's brainwashed or, or someone's trying to learn a lesson and we have to rally behind them. But there was never outside of Tommy and Kimberly, there was 
not a whole lot going on for the personal lives of the other four. So that was interesting to see. And again, this is, you could correct me. You might have seen a little bit more of that recently where you're like, Oh no, actually they did give, you know, such and such a, a love interest and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, not, not particularly. Um, Oh, there's one other thing I was going to say. Now it has escaped me. Oh, well, maybe it'll come back to me as we're, uh, as we're wrapping up here. But, uh, Oh, I'm trying to think what I feel like there was something else was on the tip of my tongue and now I don't, I don't have it, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the that relationship piece. Uh, and I know we talked about, you know, Matthew, Matthew cook and, and, and all of that as well. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think all in all, and especially I appreciated the entire reading experience because I think I got, I got a nice balance between sort of those, that, that bigger event. Right. And then the smaller, more, more personal stories. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we can check off Shattered Grid uh, from the list after all this time. Uh, I'm very glad you enjoyed it. Uh, the The book doesn't quite fall off a cliff after that, but it, I, I think you've probably reached the the peak for for at least my personal enjoyment of the book. And again, I haven't checked in on it in you know a three or four year, two years maybe at this point. So maybe I should give it another go, but I remember it not being as um, gripping, so to speak. Understood. I remembered what I was going to say. And I, I pretty sure I said this when we talked about the beginning of the boom era, but I'll bring it up again here. I felt like the voices really all rang true for virtually all of the characters. The one that I struggled with the most, I think was Jason, but it's not, it's not the comics fault. It's like the show you know, he talks more here, <laughs> like he has more yes, to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's, he's dealing with more that he didn't on the show. And so in, in some of these, like, again, I, with Zach, with Kimberly, with Billy, with really with all of them, I'm able to hear the actors in my head and imagine the characters on screen saying that I felt like where I had the hardest time doing that was with Jason. Did you feel, how did you feel? I agree. You, you hit the nail on the head because I, for the other four or five, if you include Tommy, definitely hear their voices as I'm reading it. Jason, not so much, but to your point, that's a function of the fact that he doesn't really have much in the way of that character development from the show. Um, He's just kind of broad, you know, with a couple of notable exceptions in specific episodes, he's just kind of leader dude. Uh, So giving him that, that, you know, that Cyclops, that Leonardo archetype um, works for me because those tend to, to be my sort of favorite characters. Yes. Well, listen, man, I, it was so great to catch up. I mean, the audience doesn't know we haven't spoken in, in year, literally years. We were talking off my, how long has it been? So, I mean, we've kept in touch, you know, via text and social media and whatnot, but uh, this was really fun. And I thank you for, for taking the time to reread and, and share your insight on all of this. And is there anything you want to want to direct folks towards either following you on social media or the conventions you're involved with anything you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me on just about any social media that's out there at Delando Calrissian, uh, <laughs> spelled like you'd think it would be. Uh, I lucked out of my last name in that department. Um, as far as other stuff I want to plug, um, New York Comic Con is my show. I am the event manager for it. Um, I'm very proud of it. And our team uh, this year is going to be an insane year for New York Comic Con. I'm really, really excited about the guest lineup. We just revealed our sort of first slate of folks and tickets are going on sale to the general public. 
probably by the time you hear this, I think they're going on sale the 21st. So depending on when this comes out, they, uh, they will likely be on sale already. The 21st of June. Yes. Yes. They will already be on sale by the time people are hearing this. We're recording a little bit in, in advance. So, uh, very cool. All right. Well, I hope people will, uh, if, if you're a, if you're in the area or able to get to the area, I hope they will, they will come. It's one not to be missed. All right. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you. Audience as always, always appreciate you tuning in. And of course, make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all new episode. Once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.